I have been uh, thinking a little bit lately, thinking a lot lately, about what it means to do evangelism. Uh, COVID, of course, has made you rethink just about everything you do. Uh, and um, doing, not just doing evangelism, but what Jesus talks about when he talks about making disciples. Making disciples of Jesus, he says. Uh, like in Matthew 28, uh, he says. This is kind of how he gets to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Remember the Gospel that I thought I was reading before I got the right one. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I think about this passage. I think about this because, you know, of course, our world has changed so much. Uh, our culture has changed in the last, you know, 40, 30, even 20 years, things have changed a lot. I can remember in high school, uh, sitting on the speech bus, the competitive speech bus, and we would all kind of compare notes about which church we went to, and pretty much everybody went to one of the local churches in town. There were a few who uh, didn't go to a church, but they knew exactly which church it was they didn't go to. You know, there were a lot of people who would, you know, I would, they, they'd say, oh, where's your dad? We're at First Lutheran. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's my church. And I'd be like, you know, Bob, I'm there every week. I've never seen you. And he's like, well, yeah, but that's my church. There was still kind of that sense of connection, you know, almost like it was a family inheritance or something like that. You know, that's my plot over there or something. I don't go visit it every week, but that, that, there was that kind of stuff. But pretty much everybody had some connection with something. I don't remember there being a lot of, like, true atheists sitting on the bus, you know, uh, who were just like, yeah, there is no God. It's a cold, meaningless universe. Um, and, uh, you know, but things have changed, right? That's not how it is anymore. You know, even, even, even like 20 years ago, when this church was getting started, uh, you still had a lot of people out in the neighborhood who still had some connection to a church, and there were even a lot more people who were regular churchgoers. There's a higher percentage. You know, there are people who are used to going, to, they went to church every week, and they sat on committees, and they volunteered on programs, and they ran things, and and gave good money, and, you know, and boy, now things are different, huh? You know, you think even of within your own families, how many of them actually go to church when Christmas time comes, you know, do you have to drag them in, or do they all come? Sometimes you feel like you're a minority as one of the faithful. So, uh, even among people who still believe in God in our world, and it's been shown that it's still like, what, 75, 80% of Americans still believe there's a God, and 75% still consider themselves Christian when asked which box to check. Uh, and yet, and yet, 75% say they're Christian, and yet there's only, what, less than a third who actually show up on a Sunday. So uh, you still have a lot of people in our country uh, who believe that God is real, who believe that God works in the world, who believe that the Spirit is real, who, who believe in that, that the Spirit can actually do things that God works in the world and is real. And, and so, you, you know, there's still a lot of that. But they'll ask a question that I never heard growing up as much, which was, oh yeah, I believe in God, and I'm, I'm very spiritual, but why would I go? Why go? Why show up? Why join? Can't I just be spiritual on a mountain or at Starbucks, you know? 
I, I'm more likely to give you the mountain than the Starbucks um, for spiritual. And I like Starbucks, but I don't usually encounter God there. Um, other than pretentious people coming up to the baristas wanting that special mocha latte with the caramel, the caramel swirled. I, I, this was actual Starbucks I went to. It was the one on, over on Oracle there. And the woman wanted it with the caramel swirled on the inside of the cup and swirled on the lid. And then I heard a very, I think the barista had a very spiritual experience. I think he was like, oh God, I think was how it went. And I just looked at him. And I was like, so I came up and I, I, I shouldn't have done this, but I was like, you know, I want a double mocha latte. I want special caramel swirled with three-fourths shaken, not stirred with the foam in it. And he gives me this glare and I'm like, no, I'm not serious. I just want a straight black coffee. And, and, and he, he didn't even move. He was like, I was about ready to, I think he was going to jump over the counter. <laughs> then I would be going, oh God, oh God, no. But anyways, I, you know, even when, I was, even when I was going through seminary back in the 90, late 90s, you know, we, we talked about you know, church growth. We didn't ask these kind of deeper questions or how we would answer them when somebody asks, you know, I believe in God, but why be a part of something? We weren't trained to answer that. We weren't set up for that. We were set up to kind of wait for believers to come to us and then we'd try to be really friendly and show them how many great programs we had. Uh, but now we've got deeper questions. Like, why be a part at all? Why join anything? Uh, well, going back to what Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said that what we were to do, what we were commanded to do is to make disciples. Make disciples. And I think right there a lot of us probably kind of mentally hit a little bit of a stop because first of all, there's what in the world does disciples mean anymore? You know, we don't really teach that way. Uh, does it mean you try to get people to convert? Does it mean get people to join? Yeah. The word is kind of dated. Um, like I say, we don't, that isn't usually how we do instruction, except I could think maybe a couple scenarios. Um, you know, one would be like if you're a graduate student and, you know, you have to have a person you work with uh, in graduate studies and you kind of pair with that person and learn their ways. Um, the, other, the other big way I could think of is kind of like, with a, and this one I know a lot more personally the last few weeks with plumbers, right? I finally got my house repiped uh, after uh, 17 years, had those polybutylene ones, you know, that tend to break. Mine didn't break, but I didn't want to take the chance. So, all right, got him repiped, and the plumber comes in, and it's not just him, he's got an assistant with him, a guy being apprenticed in. And so he would, and that's how you would learn, right? Because you can't really learn plumbing just sitting in a classroom studying diagrams. You know, you got to get in there and learn it. And, and, and he was very, I wouldn't say dictatorial, but he definitely was shouting out commands nicely all the time. But like, get this, do this, pump this. And he'd look at this thing. He's like, all right, now I want you to get up there. I want you to spin that, drain that. I don't know what exactly he was saying, but he put that guy to work. But I'll bet he learned a lot. And that's kind of the way that, that teaching went in Jesus' day. That's what a rabbi would do. A rabbi would have a bunch of students, usually young men, and they'd either actually move into a compound with the rabbi or at least go visit him on a daily basis, and then they would, they would learn from that rabbi uh, God's law. They would learn uh, how to read, write Hebrew, all those kind of things. And the rabbi would be called master. That was how you referred to him, as master. You were a disciple and the rabbi was your master, and you did what he said. 
and you would follow him around as he would do different teachings and different things that would go on, and you would ask questions when you saw things, and that wasn't disrespectful, that was how you would learn. So when the rabbi would come and visit so-and-so and, and do such a thing, you'd say, well, rabbi, why did you do that? You know, and then that would be the opportunity for the rabbi to dispense some wisdom. Well, we always do this, and, you know. and so that was how they learned, a disciple and a master. That was the way that teaching was done. Well, now uh, we're in a world where, you know, we love authority, right? We, we love that word master. That always, makes, that always makes a great evangelism slogan, I'm sure. But, I mean, we're kind of in a world, especially in our culture, where we kind of don't like authority. You know, in America, we kind of recoil when we think someone's trying to tell me what to do. Uh, you know, and when you start talking about language like disciples and master and obeying, you know, a lot of people are like, whoa, you know, I don't want to be brainwashed and controlled and give up my individuality and my freedom. I'm a little nervous about this. And then we're sitting there saying, hey, hey, wait, 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 wait. I know this is the opposite of everything you believe in, but just trust me on this. Um, I really need you to sign up to obey Jesus, and it'll be great. And I think it's why. I think it's why we have so much of this kind of, they call it spiritual but not religious stuff. It isn't that they don't believe in God. It's the idea of being a part of something that feels like it might cause you to lose your control of yourself or lose some part of your individuality uh, that somehow you might be brainwashed. Um, now, of course, I could point out all sorts of contradictions that people won't go to church because they don't want to be brainwashed, but they'll follow somebody every word somebody says on Instagram. But we can get into that another day. But church is often seen as taking away all those things that, about ourselves that we value. So what do we tell people? It'll be great. Uh, you'll love it. Give it a try. Uh, it'll, just, it'll feel like you're giving things up, but once you experience it, later you'll realize how great it is. Um, I, you know, I've said things like that. Or do we say things like, well, you know, yeah, you're giving up your Sunday mornings, and you know, it'll be a little bit of work to study these old books, uh, and these old teachings, but there are a lot of benefits you get from it. And isn't that uh, kind of what a lot of our evangelism strategies have been about? Uh, telling people that they will get benefits to themselves if they join? And isn't that kind of what sales is? You know, you find out what, what do they say, find the felt needs? Not the real needs, only the needs they feel, Right? because people respond to what they feel. So they find the felt needs, find their wants, find their desires, find the things they lack, you know, find those and then promise that somehow your product will meet those needs. Fill those desires. Help you achieve what you achieve. You know, and, and we could say, you know, yes, it may be a little bit of work at the beginning, but we hold out that carrot that at the end, you'll get something for you. Meet your desires. And I think we've been trying this in Christian churches with mixed success. Uh, some places have gone absolutely gangbusters with this. Right? They, they're promising the fulfillment of your personal wants and needs and desires. Um, promising you everything. You'll get you know, positive energy. You'll get promotions, fulfillment, meaning, success, fame, popularity. You can get better test scores. I heard that sermon. Right? 
this, I knew this person, he had faith. He raised his expectations that God would provide faith, and his ACT score went up. I'm like, dang, I went to church every dang Sunday in my high school career, and that guy over there that went to the mass once every quarter, he got a better grade than me, and he had a lower class rank, and I'm not bitter. <laughs> Come on. But, right, this has been, this is kind of the pitch. Prosperity gospel, they call it, right? The gospel of prosperity. Jesus came to earth to show us how we can work the system today to our benefit to get what we want for ourselves. And if, to show you how it works, just look at the pastor. Look at how he lives, right? His church is huge. He's got a converted basketball arena, right? His house is worth $10.5 million, and I'm not making that up. He drives a Ferrari, actually has several of them, like six of them, I think, and a private jet, and a wife who is a natural blonde. <laughs> that, I got you beat. <laughs> Clearly, you look at him and you go, oh man, his teachings are so successful, he must be right. He must be on to something, right? Kind of like those TED Talks. Nobody wants the TED Talk from the business owner selling the taco shop. I want to hear the TED Talk from the guy whose chain expanded by 50% over four years. He monetized and synergized or something, right? We want to listen to the person who we thought successful, right? And meanwhile, he's flaunting his wealth, and then you go online, there's all these millennials posting pictures of him and his Ferrari going, religious people are all hypocrites. This is why I hate organized religion. Hashtag organized religion evil. Hashtag stay home on Sunday. Hashtag, you know. So for some, it works. For others, it's a turnoff. It backfires. Promising people that you will meet their every desire with Jesus is to many the proof of the hypocrisy. It's almost like they don't have to know a lot about Jesus to know that Ferraris are kind of the opposite of this poor wandering teacher who got killed for his politics and loved lepers and sinners and prostitutes. And so the formula seems pretty simple. Poor Jesus, rich preacher, religion hypocrites. And this starts getting to the root of our problem. We've been trying to sell a life of service and sacrifice by repackaging it as a tool a ticket to wealth and prosperity. And it's, it's not like we just invented this. Look at Jesus' disciples. They came to him full of all sorts of motivations and not understanding what the gospel was about. And they wanted their wealth and prosperity too. All right, let's look at Mark 10. Mark 10. Right? You got that story, right? James and John, they come up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus. Can you give us whatever we want? I know when my kids ask me that question, hey, can you do me a favor? My first question is, what do you want? And that's what Jesus does. What do you want me to do for you? Oh, let us sit at your right hand and your left when, you, when, when you're in your kingdom. When, when, when you make it big, Jesus, could you put us in the top? You know, like, like this is some sort of a tech startup. And, you know, I, I, I want to be the senior VP and the this next seniorist VP, I don't, I don't know the corporate speak, right? 
And, and Jesus looks at him, and Jesus looks at him, he says, oh, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> you don't know, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? That, that's Old Testament language for, are you able to endure from God what, uh, what, what I endure? Are you able to get, take from God what God gives you? Are you willing to suffer the way that I've suffered? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we're totally in. We're all in. We can handle it. And then he says, okay, you will get what you ask for. You will get to drink that cup. You will get to endure what I endure and go through what I go through. But as for who gets to sit there, well, I don't get to decide that anyways. But that's what these guys are doing, right? They're aiming for the glory. They're aiming for the prosperity. They're not aiming to, to save the, the lepers and the prostitutes. They, they're, they're thinking about themselves and their glory and their wealth. That's what they're angling for. And Jesus says, you'll get it. You just won't get the glory. And they are following Jesus because they think there's glory in it for them. They're not following Jesus just because they so love Jesus and believe in the gospel and believe in the power of the gospel to change the world. They're still in it for themselves. See, this is the hard part about Christianity. It's what makes it such a hard sell today. Because Jesus never promises us glory in this life, ever. There's glory in the resurrection when he returns, but he doesn't promise glory in this life. And so this is part of where we have this weird dynamic today, where Jesus himself has a high approval rating, even among people who don't go to church, and the church has a low approval rating. Because the world sees Jesus as this really authentic guy. He practiced what he preached. He loved the outcasts. He loved without judgment. He cared for the outsiders, and he walked the talk, even, even when it meant he had to die for it. That's a guy who's honest and authentic and real and not hypocritical. Those are all things the world loves. And, and I don't think there's anyone who would look at Jesus' life and say, man, that guy was successful. I mean, you don't look at Jesus and go, man, Jesus... Look at that gold chariot he just bought. He's got the same one Pilate's got. He's successful. No one would ever look at the wandering homeless guy who lived off of other people's dinners and want to hire him for a TED Talk. Because Jesus didn't promise tricks for success. There was no glory in him for what he did. But we as people, we're drawn to success to glory. I find myself doing the same thing. You know, I go online and, you know, you kind of want to get inspiration. All right, how might I deal with this internet thing? Well, I want, to, I want to hear from the person that's got the most followers. I want to hear from the pastor who's got the most internet followers. I don't want to hear from the one that's got three or four. I want to hear from the one that's got thousands. How did you do it? How'd you go viral? You know, I do the same thing. I want the wisdom from the person that's success. So we are drawn to success. We are drawn to glory. It's why the TV preacher flaunts his wealth to show people how successful he is. Because he's promising you he'll let you behind the veil and get in on the secrets of what he's doing. Even though, and they've actually done studies on this, there is no empirical evidence to show that people who go to prosperity gospel churches make more money than people who don't. It doesn't mean they make less, they just don't make more. It's almost exactly the same. And they can't even show that going to the prosperity church 
should demonstrates an increase in wealth. It isn't like you make 60,000 and then you apply the, fa- the right faith and the tools and then you make 80. It, it, it isn't, the numbers aren't showing that that's what's actually happening. So whatever smiley guy is teaching, it isn't translating to the people down the, down the ladder. In the rest of the world, success breeds glory and glory breeds followers and those followers want in on your success. But in Jesus' world, there is no promise of glory. There's just Jesus promising suffering and hard work and service and humility and caring for the poor, and then you're going to die. Ugh. And eventually, when he returns, he says, there will be a resurrection, and it will be awesome and more glorious than you can imagine. So, bringing it back to evangelism. We have to embrace a difficult paradox. That what draws many to Jesus, that to draw people to Jesus, you have to be a lot more like Jesus, more service and giving and sacrifice and humility without the glory that draws so many people in. And that's the thing about Jesus. What makes him appealing is that he doesn't have the glory to make him more appealing. There's no path to worldly success in Jesus. There's a better life and a better world, but not a glorious one. And, you know, we have to stop trying to tell people that we can meet your desires and instead tell people that you're invited along with a journey to learn how to live the way that this, this one unhypocritical and truly honest guy lived. And you want to live those ideals? Justice, love, service, spirituality, community without hypocrisy? Then follow Jesus with us. We'll do it imperfectly, but it's what we're trying to do. You want to get stuff and bask in the glory? Probably can't really offer you that. But with Jesus, there is a real opportunity here. I really believe that. That, that there's an opportunity with Jesus as Jesus is to connect with the people in a whole new way. That we don't, it isn't the packaging we need to sell Jesus, it's just Jesus. And embrace that paradox. And I think great things, great things? Things can happen. Amen.